Good morning, everybody. There's a lot of uh, hectic energy on the stage today between uh, a current youth pastor, a previous youth pastor, and now another previous youth pastor. There's just a lot of chaotic energy between the three of us. Uh, glad you're here this morning. My name is Ty Hall. I'm the worship pastor here at Fremont Community Church, and uh, I'm glad to be here with, this with you this morning. Glad to be joined by those watching online as well. But uh, I'm going to talk about a parable today. We're going to continue our stories, uh, our series rather, on the stories that Jesus told. But before we jump in, I would love to pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. And so would you all please pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for today. God, the opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters and friends and uh, have fun and get to know each other and drink coffee and open up your word. And God, we pray that as we continue to worship together by studying your scripture, God, uh, would you speak to us? And God, would we be uh, ready to listen, uh, willing to hear what you have to say to us this morning? God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. I've really been enjoying uh, this summer series that we've been going through, the, the parables, the stories that Jesus told, because I actually love stories. I, I, I truly do love stories of all kinds, whether it be through books, uh, movies, video games, TV shows, musicals, plays, you name it, I love stories. When I was working uh, as a college student, I would work at a summer camp uh, for elementary school students, and every week I would have like a story time of something ridiculous that happened that week with the kids. I love telling stories, I love listening to stories, and because I love stories, I love parables. It makes the Bible feel more real. There are very few days in my life when I'm not telling at least one story. So when I hear Jesus tell a story, it helps me kind of set the scene in my mind. It helps it feel more human. It helps me imagine the setting, the response. It even helps me understand why Jesus was telling the story in the first place. Because normally, when he tells a parable, he's telling it in response to a question or an accusation or a comment. And most of the time, I'm doing something very similar throughout my life. I like to tell stories, and a lot of times, you can ask the people here on staff, they'll ask me a question or say something, and my brain will go off into a story that has nothing to do with what they actually just asked me about. <laughs> but I love to tell stories, and I appreciate that Jesus loved to tell stories, and I appreciate that he was more focused than I am. <laughs> so, the parable that I actually wanted to talk about today is one that I actually don't hear talked about a ton. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 23 today. If you want to flip there in your phone or in your Bible, uh, we're going to start in verse 23 of Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 21. And that's actually a little bit before the parable actually gets started. Uh, to set the scene a little bit, Jesus has just walked into the temple in Jerusalem, and he walks up to the temple courts, and he begins teaching. And the chief priests of the temple and the elders don't love that he just waltzed up and starts preaching to the crowd. And he's actually already become a little bit of a prominent figure in the ancient Jewish culture. And there's a little bit of controversy around him already. But that's where we pick up the story in verse 23. Here's how it goes. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Now pause. 
I love that Jesus gets asked this question and he just straight up deflects by asking them a question. Like, I imagine the chief elders, the priests, they're coming in with, like, angry teacher vibes, and they're ready to, like, admonish and kind of correct the rebellious student, and Jesus just goes, no, 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 no. You get to answer the question first. Now, who is John the Baptist, you might be asking? John was a prophet, someone who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, but not everyone believed that he was actually a prophet or he was preaching God's word, and actually the religious elders kind of rejected him. And so when they ask about, when Jesus asks about John the Baptist and the baptisms he was bringing, he's actually asking them a pretty pointed question. So let's see their response. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But, but if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. I love that the religious leaders are sort of backed into a corner, and I want you to kind of picture like these, these old men with long beards, and they just kind of like huddle up like a football game in the corner, and they're like, all right, what do we want to say? Like, if we say it was from human origin, that's going to be a problem because they all think he's a prophet and they're going to be mad at us. But if we say it was from God, then that means that we're going against what we actually believed and he's going to ask us another question. And so they're like discussing it in this huddle and they all break and they like come back to Jesus and they're like, we don't know. It's, it's just this very, like, flat response, and I'm sure that these elders who have been studying the scripture their whole life loved that they had to give, and I don't know. So here's Jesus' response to the initial question. He gives a solid one-liner here. He says, then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. You can't tell me, so I can't tell you. He doesn't leave them totally hanging, though, and we get into the parable at this point in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the, in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. This is a pretty straightforward conversation, it would seem, in this parable. There isn't a ton of ancient Hebrew context that we need to dissect or get around. And in fact, if you're a parent listening to this, you might have had a similar conversation with one or maybe a few of your children. Or maybe you've had both of these conversations with your children when you say, go clean your room. And they say, no. <laughs> but what's Jesus trying to say here? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So there are a few things we can unpack from this message, from this parable. I'm going to stick with our discovery Bible study method as we study the passage this morning. And in that uh, method, we ask three questions. The first question is, what does this parable tell us about God, about Jesus, or about his plan? And I think if God is represented by the father figure in this situation, there are things that he is going to invite us into. He's going to ask us to do some things. There are things we're going to be invited into, and we have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. In the ancient Middle Eastern context, God's people were invited all over the Old Testament. 
God wouldn't invite specific people into covenants or contracts with him. Uh, Think like Moses in the burning bush, if you've heard that story, where he invites Moses to be a part of what he's doing. But God's people as a whole were also invited to be a part of what God was doing, to be his holy nation. Think Moses again, but this time think about the Ten Commandments story. That wasn't a deal with just Moses. That was a message to all of Israel. And today, as followers of Jesus, we have been invited into what God is doing around us. There's a few super clear invitations in the Gospels of Jesus uh, telling us, uh, or inviting us into things, rather. Earlier in the book of Matthew, in chapter 11, verse 28, we see this invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We see another invitation that Jesus gives in the book of Luke, chapter 9. It says this. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? In both of these invitations, we see Jesus inviting us, his followers, into a relationship. But not just one of friendship or companionship. This is one of teaching, of learning, of discipleship. So, like the father figure in this parable, Jesus has invited us into relationship with him. In the same way that the father figure in the parable invites his sons into the field. And in the same way that John the Baptist invited people to come and see what God was doing. The second question of Discovery Bible Study is, what does this parable tell us about us as people, as humans? Well, if God is represented by the father figure in this parable, I think we are represented by the sons, the two sons. And much like the two sons in this parable, we have an opportunity to respond when God asks us to be a part of something. Both brothers have a verbal response and then a physical response, and they both have some weight and meaning to them, and it's good to take stock of both of these. The last time I preached on the parables, I shared my favorite way to describe a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It means that Jesus is telling us something that we're going to understand, but has kind of a deeper meaning uh, underneath it. And I feel like this story definitely strikes a very common earthly moment. I think everyone in this room or listening to this is going to be able to say, I have had someone say they were going to do something, and they didn't do it. Yeah? Maybe it's a family member who didn't bring their famous casserole, and now you don't have a side dish for family dinner. Maybe a friend said they were going to borrow something and bring it back the next day, and they've definitely been borrowing that thing for several years now, and you've bought a replacement. (laughs) Maybe a teacher assigned you a partner for a project, and that partner definitely didn't do their half of the project, and now you've got to figure out how you're going to salvage your grade. But what's the heavenly meaning behind this common occurrence? What is Jesus trying to tell the Jewish leaders in ancient Israel, and what can we learn today? I think it's important to note the audience that Jesus is talking to. Matthew 21, verse 23, starts off by telling us exactly who this audience is. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. 
So as he's telling this parable, we have to remember that the people he's talking to are not just regular ancient Jewish people. These are folks who have been around religious practices and rules and teaching their whole life. So when Jesus talks about people who have been told what to do and they say they're going to do it, he's talking about these guys. They've devoted their life to the teachings of the Torah, to the teachings of the Old Testament. And they've said, yes, God, I'll go into the vineyard, metaphorically. They've said yes to what God is doing. But have the elders actually done it? Have they actually gone into the vineyard? To add a little bit more context to this parable, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem on the very first Palm Sunday. So he's entered and people have shouted and celebrated him as king, entering this great holy city. And John the Baptist, who we talked about earlier, was a prophet. He was chosen by God to prepare the way. And the religious leaders rejected his teaching. They rejected his ministry. They rejected the work that he was doing. And now Jesus, the Messiah, is about to be rejected by them as well in under a week. The religious elders are the one who call for Jesus to be crucified and be put to death unjustly. But these elders are actually a, a very small piece of this parable. You see, the whole nation of Israel had rebelled against God, and this wasn't their first rodeo on this particular horse. In fact, if you look at the history of Israel through the Bible, they do this time and time again, where they make a covenant with God, and they say, God, we're going to follow after you. And God's like, cool, awesome. And then they don't do that. And then they say, God, we're really, really sorry. And God's like, okay, I forgive you because God is gracious and, gracious and his mercy is more. And then Israel does the same thing again and over and over and over. And so the nation of Israel also is represented by this son who says, yes, I will go into the vineyard and then doesn't. Meanwhile, on the other end of this parable's spectrum, we see that the lowest of the low in Israel society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, are entering the kingdom of heaven. They have believed and been baptized, and they are represented by the second son, who initially rebelled but repented and went into the vineyard to work. After this parable, Jesus goes on to tell another one, and we don't really have time to dig into that too far today, but it has very similar themes to this first one. And the, Bible's give, the Bible gives us the elder's response after the second parable. At the end of the chapter, in verse 45, it says this, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so the plot for Jesus' arrest begins in full. The third question of DBS, Discovery Bible Study, is, if this story is true, how must we change? So what? This is my favorite question of DBS because I have a tendency to get caught up in historical context and syntax and Greek language, and this third question consistently reminds me to come back to California in 2023. So I ask today, so what? Jesus is calling out the religious leaders and elders of Jerusalem in this parable. That doesn't have anything to do with us, right? Right? <laughs> well, it kind of does. I think there's a reason for us today to look at this parable. Uh, I used to work with a wonderful pastor. Her name was Diana Shiflett, and she wrote a great book called Spiritual Practices in Community, 
We actually referenced this book in our series on soul care, and if you didn't pick it up then, I'd strongly encourage you to pick it up now. It's on Amazon. You can search it up. She offers a number of ways to read the Bible to help us see familiar stories in a new light. And one of her suggestions is to read the scripture and try to see the story from one of the character's perspectives. And so, I'd like to read the parable again, and I'd like to invite you to consider these two brothers and their perspectives, where they're coming from. Here we go. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Now, I do want to point out that this is a parable, which means it's an illustration. It's a story that Jesus is telling to make a point. And in this parable, as an illustration, one of the brothers is 100% in the right, and the other brother is 100% in the wrong. And so we as people tend to land somewhere in the middle. Maybe on some things we land over here, on other things we land over here. But I think we end up in both situations throughout our lives. There are some things that we're asked to do that we haven't followed through on. There are other things that we initially reject but eventually come around to. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd like to ask you to consider this. What are the areas that God has asked you to step into? All right, let's start with the ones that we've initially said no to. Maybe you feel stubborn about something. Maybe there's a change in your life that God has asked you to make, and you don't want to change. You don't like change, and you resist what God is calling you to. But you trust God, and after some prayer and some time and seeking some good counsel, you go where God has called you to go, and you make the decision anyway. When I end up in these situations, I usually wind up thanking God for the ways that he's changed my life and the ways that I've seen him work. In fact, I recently just passed a pretty big milestone, an anniversary for one of these decisions in my own life. Just over a year ago, I moved from Montgomery, Illinois to Fremont, California. And while today I'm extremely excited to be where I am, a year ago was not that. (laughs) It was hard. I pushed back pretty hard on God when he said, hey, it's time to go to California. All of my family is back in Illinois, and moving across the country by myself was scary. And I pushed back really, really hard, and I had to wrestle with God on this calling on my life. But now, after a year of being here, I can see that God is doing something incredible, and he has me exactly where I'm supposed to be. But I can say that now. A year ago, that was a much different conversation. Now, on the other end of this parable, we have times as followers of Jesus where God uh, has asked us to jump in, and we say, yes, we're going to jump in wholeheartedly, and we don't necessarily jump all the way in. We maybe, like, put a toe in the pool and test the waters and come back out. Uh, I'll, I'll get in when it warms up a little bit. We might say that we're jumping in, but in reality, we're holding back. And over the last few months, I've noticed something here around FCC, and I wanted to do a little bit of research to to check what my eyes were seeing. Here around FCC, we have about 200 volunteer positions that are regularly active. 
That means uh, that they're active on a, a weekly or monthly basis, and that includes things like the worship team, ushers, greeters, powerhouse volunteers, elevate teachers, student ministry leaders, and many, many, many more. And the thing uh, that I noticed that if you attend FCC in person or online, you probably see these volunteer needs being met on a consistent basis. But the thing I noticed was that I was seeing the same group of people at almost everything that FCC was doing. And in fact, I did some research, I crunched the numbers, which I hate doing because I don't like math, but I thought it was important enough to do the math. And if you are serving at FCC, you are most likely serving in not just one role, but three roles. You have not just jumped in on one role, you've jumped in on three. And here's why I bring this up. I've talked about serving in my sermons before and asking uh, one of our staff to see how you can serve. But instead of just listing all of the staff's name, I just want to show you their faces because that's going to be easier. And these are some of the faces that you should be looking for. All right. In the top left, you've got Eric, uh, you've got Pastor Will in the middle, I'm up there on the right, don't look at me. Uh, Pastor Becca's on the left in the middle, you've got Matt Ridings in the middle, then Eugenia, and then Josh, Sandra, and Helen. And these are just some of the folks that you should be looking for if you want to serve somewhere. Because on this screen, we don't have people like Alan Kai, who actually uh, and organizes and heads up our Elevate class, which is a tutoring program for elementary school students on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We also don't have Ruth Ritter, who is all about Compassion Network stuff. And seriously, if y'all don't pick up a backpack, I would watch out for Ruth. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you want to serve, I want you to know that there is a place for you to serve. Because here's the thing. We have great, wonderful people here who serve in so many different ways and are so incredible at what they do, but even as super as they are, they cannot be in three places at once. And so if you want to serve, please find one of these people, find me, find Eric, find someone and ask, how can I serve? Two of our strategic values and focuses as FCC are loving community and authentic worship. You want to know how you can exercise those values? How about joining Pastor Becca on Wednesday nights to build a loving community for middle school and high school students? How about uh, authentic worship? Do you want to exercise authentic worship, but you don't know how to sing or play an instrument? Maybe use your gifts to teach elementary school students a useful skill on Tuesdays or Thursday nights. Again, Alan Kai is going to be the guy you look for to get involved with that. Part of exercising loving community and authentic worship is serving alongside one another. And another part is serving one another. And here at FCC, there are plenty of ways to do that. But the church doesn't just exist here on Sunday mornings or even here in this building. To begin 2023 here at FCC, we spent nine weeks in a series called Discipleship Pathway. The whole series looked at what it means to live on mission every day. And at the end of the series, we actually had missionary commitments available for people to sign to say, yes, for the next year, I'm going to commit to living on mission. And as we look at the parable of these two brothers, I want to ask, how's that going? Do you feel like the first brother 
who maybe you were here for the Discipleship Pathway series, but you were a little bit new, and so you said, you know what, I don't want to jump in yet. But now that you've been here a little bit longer, you say, you know what, yeah, I want to commit to what God's doing. I want to live on mission. Again, find one of these pastors. We'll get you hooked up with one of those missionary commitments. Maybe you feel like the second brother who said yes at the beginning of the year, but prayer walking has fallen by the wayside. And fasting is something that's hard to do. And you know what? I'm just going to eat lunch today. Here's the thing. We have a prayer walking counter on our website because that's one of the ways that we talked about in Discipleship Pathway to live on mission. To pray first and to pray intentionally for those around you. And the reason we ask you to track those prayer walks is because that's worth celebrating. It's worth seeing that FCC is being used by God to do incredible things. We as the church are being used to do incredible things and pray for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our, for our peers, for those around us. And currently, if you go down to the bottom of Fremont.church, you'll see that we have 92 par- uh, prayer walks logged for the year. Last year, we had 500. This year, we set a goal of 1,000. Friendly reminder... If you're doing those prayer walks, keep track of them on a consistent basis. (laughs) Fremont.church, scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see the nice little button. But that's what I want to ask us. Have we been doing what we've committed to do? If you've been through Discipleship Pathway, you might remember the missional equipping gatherings that we used to do. We would gather together in a little bit of a smaller group, but we would share stories of what God is doing around us. And it was encouraging and incredible to see. And it was so encouraging, in fact, we actually rolled that part of Discipleship Pathway into our Sunday service because it's important to share stories and be encouraged. And if you have a story of what God is doing, I'm actually just going to put his email up on the screen, Matt Ridings at Fremont.Church, M. Ridings. Send your stories to this man so that we can see what God is doing. If you want to share your stories. And in fact, I'm just going to share a story from Matt's life right now because I want you to see what I'm talking about. So Matt and Sandy, if you don't know, they are pregnant. They are expecting a baby, and that's exciting. Along with that comes finding a place to have a baby. (laughs) And so they needed to move, and they needed to move their stuff. And that's something that they needed help with. Because I don't know if you know this about pregnant women, they probably shouldn't be lifting heavy things. (laughs) So the young adults group, their, their life group, their community came together and said, yeah, we'll help you move. Absolutely, we'll be there. And that's what they did yesterday with their Saturday. They just moved all of their stuff across town. And I asked Matt, I was like, hey, how'd the move go yesterday? He's like, we're 99% done in one day. That's what I'm talking about. That's loving community. That's authentic worship to say, yeah, I can be here. I can be a part of, of your life. I can be a part of this community and serve you in this way. And you'll notice that's not a crazy story. That's moving someone across town. So when I say that we want to hear the stories of what God's doing in your life, I'm not talking about like huge, humongous, spectacular things. I am talking about those things, but also the regular, every day, every week, every month stuff. Uh, I say all this to remind us that we've been called to something. We've been invited to be a part of what God is doing around us. Another one of my favorite pastors growing up was the worship pastor at the church I grew up in. His name was Lee Lukashevsky. 
he taught me a lot about how to lead worship when I was first starting, and I really loved how he would end our times on Sunday morning. We'd play the last song, and as it came to an end, he'd give us an encouragement, a benediction, and he ended every week with the same line, go and be the church. That's what I'm talking about. Go and be the church. The church isn't this building. The church is not these four walls. It's not even the events that FCC puts on everywhere else in the community. The church is you and me. We are the church. Whenever I write a sermon, I like to pick a song to listen to. I listen to one song on repeat, which I'm sure would drive some of the people in this room nuts, but it helps me get into the right headspace as I write this sermon. And for this sermon, I chose a song from all the way back in 2002, which this front right corner of the room was not alive for, which makes me feel old. <laughs> but it's a song from a, a group called Casting Crowns. It's a song called If We Are the Body. And this song stuck in my head for me while I was writing because I wanted to remind us today that we are the church. We are the body of Christ here today. We have been invited into what God is doing. We have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. And that's incredible. And sometimes it shows up in big ways, and sometimes it shows up in helping a friend move. I'm going to invite the band back on stage because we're going to respond and continue to worship with song. But as they come up, I'd like to invite us to consider something. If we are the body of Christ, and just like the two sons in the parable have been given an invitation, how are we going to respond? What is God inviting you into? Is God inviting you to serve in one of the ministries going on at FCC that I mentioned? Is he inviting you to continue to pray and fast or start one of those activities? Is he inviting you to maybe start a missional community or be a part of what he's doing around you at work, at school, in your neighborhood, on your sports teams? I can't tell you what God is inviting you to personally, but I can tell you that here at FCC, we are here to support you. We are here to equip you. We are here to walk alongside you in this process because as the body of Christ, as the church, we support one another. And when given an opportunity to respond, we want to help you do that. I'd like to end my time here this morning by praying and asking God to make those invitations clear to us today. So would you all please pray with me? God, we thank you for this parable. We thank you for this story. We thank you for all the ways that you move, all the ways that we are invited into what you're doing. God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see those opportunities. God, that you would give us uh, the courage to walk through open doors when you open them. God, give us the strength to sit in uncomfortable situations because that's what you've asked us to do sometimes. And God, would you give us the boldness to say, God, where are you taking me? Even if it's scary. And God, we pray that as we go through our week outside of these four walls, God, that when we see those invitations, God, would you give us the strength to walk, walk into those open doors? We pray all this in your name. Amen.